The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. I'm joined uh, by phone with a uh, prominent 60s peace activist who uh, has written a, uh, a book about um, his experiences. And I had the title right in front of me, and there it is, I Refuse to Kill... My Path to Nonviolent Action in the 1960s, written by my guest this hour, Francesco Da Vinci. Francesco, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning. I love the opening of your show. (laughs) (laughs) That's a wild one. I love it. Oh, people getting my name wrong and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, Francesco... um, let me let me ask this. One of the reasons that uh, that I wanted to talk to you is because of some comments that you've made on uh, your social media in support of people in Russia who are against the um, so-called Russian invasion of Ukraine. And you point out right. that this is this is all Putin's doing and not necessarily the Russian people. Right. I didn't want people to generalize about the people in general. You know, Gandhi uh, wrote a great statement, and it's still relevant today, just as much as when he said it. And he said, often the governments will stand between and hide the hearts of one people from another. Uh, Basically, uh, my perspective is that we're all one family and all related, and I didn't want them to generalize. As you know, every time we go to war someplace, uh, there's anti against that ethnic group, and the same thing is happening with Russia. And Russians are being discriminated against in New York today. And and that's um, an unfortunate reaction. Now, your book. Um, when did this book come out? Nineteen uh, nine. Uh, excuse me. On uh, November ninth, and uh, that was in honor of Carl Sagan, who was a friend of mine uh, last year. Oh, really? Um, yes, I, I was such a fan of Carl Sagan's, and it was a real thrill for me when uh, when his wife brought back the uh, Cosmos series and and did the yes. new book. She was on the show, and and it was oh wow, it was an absolute and. delight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm a space nerd secretly. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> I guess so. Um, on Spaceship Earth. Well, you know what's what's funny about that, Francesco, is 
Um, and, and I've had several conversations with people about how much modern uh, or contemporary technology has imitated what was being imagined from early sci-fi, Star Trek in particular. Absolutely. I mean, a microwave oven couldn't mimic a food processor from the Enterprise any better. <laughs> right. Well, that just goes to show you that um, these big dreams that we have, you know, that nothing is impossible. Uh, it's viewed impossible in the beginning of a giant endeavor, like going to the moon, and then when it comes, it seems inevitable. Now, this, this book, I Refuse to Kill, My Path to Nonviolent Action in the 1960s. Let's talk about that a little bit, because you were Thank you. a conscientious objector. Um, yes. Which, and, and I'm old enough to have been around in those days. In fact, the draft ended just shortly before I would have become old enough to be considered for the draft. Okay. And it, um, and so I remember that for a great many conscientious objectors and others who just didn't agree with the war in Vietnam or didn't want to go, um, were simply pacifists, they um, basically dodged the draft by going to Canada. Yes, let me clarify for your listeners of what a conscientious objector is. Uh, there's an old joke yeah, that, uh, uh, that uh, nobody knows what a CO is, but everybody hates them. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, let me clarify what it is, because it, there's a lot of confusion around that. The, the big myth is that conscientious objectors are draft dodgers, and the opposite is true. The COs, uh, basically what they are, because of their conscience, they will not kill. And then there's different shades of that, like some people like myself uh, refuse to even be trained to kill because there are COs that once they're in the military, they become COs. They've had a change in perspective once they see the realities um, inside the military and, and realities of war. So uh, my situation was outside the military. I knew I didn't want to be trained to kill. I was raised by pacifist parents. And a CO, you know, they could have gone to Canada and they could have faked their way out of the draft. In fact, thirty to 50,000 during the Vietnam era that you, you know, spoke of went to Canada, and over 600,000 illegally evaded the draft. But the COs faced the draft directly, and here's the test. If they weren't recognized by their local draft board, then they willingly went to prison. So you can see that's the opposite of draft dodging. Right, and and it was made a little bit more confusing, I think, Francesco, um, and and maybe you remember it differently. But um, Muhammad Ali, then Cassius Clay, became yes. a conscientious objector, and people thought, "How can you be against war and be a professional boxer?" You, right. you know, they thought that that a conscientious objector. Um, was somebody that was a pacifist, completely nonviolent. And, yes. and you articulate it a little differently, and I appreciate the fact that you do. You say, I refuse to kill. Yes. doesn't yes. say and, you're and, not going to punch me in the mouth for saying something rude to you, but, you know, it's, 
it, well, it's on a different ahead. level. It is. It is. And, you know, there's different shades of things. For other people that, um, you know, what's right for them is not right for, you know, it's not one size fits all. Uh, in the case of Muhammad Ali, who I had the honor of working with, and I photographed him three times, um, his case was 1967. He refused induction uh, in Texas. And it was inspiring to me, even though I'm not a fan of boxing, and I do feel it's a violent sport. Um, again, like I said, there's shades of conscientious objectors. Some people will object to the bigger picture of wars, but um, they'll be lenient on an individual level with things like boxing. So my case was against all wars and against violence as a means of uh, settling conflict. And and just because it crossed my mind, um, does it extend to the sport? Uh, well, see, that's there's the individual thing again. To me, it does. Uh, one one of the things I admired about Gandhi so much was he made me aware at an early age when I studied nonviolence. He said, "Try to make your words, you know, your thoughts and your actions all harmonious." That's like a true test, and you know, it it served as a model for me. Uh, Dr. King and Einstein and Gandhi were my main role models, and then later uh, Cesar Chavez, who I volunteered to help work for the farm workers. Now, with the the book, um, are you with the book? I refuse to kill my path to nonviolent action in the nineteen sixties. Is it is it all memoir, or or do you use it as an opportunity to inform people about a, a new trend in in violence that seems to be emerging now? It's it's both. It's a combination. The thing I I loved about doing the book is there have been many like uh, PBS specials and abstract sociological things on the sixties and nonviolence. And I said, I want to tell like a, a powerful personal story of somebody who was a completely oblivious to issues myself. And, um, you know, a bystander, total bystander wasn't until the draft came to me that it spurred my activism. So I wanted to take uh, the readers on that journey so two missions I had. One is to clarify, as we were talking about, and I'm grateful for your opportunity there to clarify what conscientious objection is, because one of the reasons for the book is to pay uh, tribute to these people who took brave stands, and yet the media has often portrayed them as cowardly and shirkers, and they're the opposite. So that was one big mission to straighten out about COs. The legacy of the 60s, Tom, has been so distorted or omitted uh, and twisted for political agendas. And, you know, there was so much, as you know, positive uh, things that happened and changes. It, uh, the minorities were empowered. Voting age was lowered to 18. Earth Day came out of the 60s. Environmental concern, you know, it, it's just a long list. And the first time a young generation has stopped a war. Uh, and they put themselves on the line to do that by marching in the streets uh, from 1964 when the war started to 1975 when it formally ended. So, you know, that's also I wanted to set the record straight historically because it's that's been omitted or twisted in the history books. And it's time that, uh, you know, we got the record straight and paid tribute to all the people that sacrificed so much for those causes. Well, yeah, I know. I, I've seen some of those um 
documentary films and and magazine articles and and stuff to Francesco and and it just seems like they've boiled the 60s down to music and clothes. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> I you know the, the, the two stereotypes that I heard Tom was uh, hippies and drugs. <laughs> well, yeah, there's there a lot go. more. Thus thus yes. the music and clothes, I guess. But, yeah, um, and music was, by the way, since we mentioned music, it was such a huge inspiration in my own life. You know, people like Bob Dylan, who they called the Shakespeare of the time, and um, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and the songs like Blowing in the Wind and Times Are Changing. That was a big inspiration for us, and that also spurred uh, civil rights as well. So getting back to the book and the memoir part of it, Francesco, yeah. What what was your experience? I mean, can you can you give me a little bit of a 1960s uh, timeline for Francesco? Yeah, thank you very much for that. Uh, I was born in Washington D.C., raised in Northern Virginia, and it was a I, I was fortunate to be raised uh, with a great deal of wealth. My family lived in a mansion. It was a completely segregated white neighborhood. And uh, each house was about two and a half acres apart. It was like not your normal upbringing. And so I was definitely sheltered, very sheltered. And um, I, the first awakening for me was the civil rights movement coming into our homes through television. You know, everything, you know, I idolized my country without question. Uh, every, of course, every country has its flaws and good things, but uh I kind of blanket, uh, you know, was on the positive side of America totally without question. And um, the civil rights came along on TV, and I said, wow, not all is well here. And um, then I became aware that in my high school, in four years, uh, I, I don't think I ever saw a black student. So, um, you know, it was a slow awakening. Then the draft was a big wake-up call. Uh, that started me questioning the bigger picture of war and my responsibility to speak to it and an interesting thing tom my best friend was had totally opposite politics uh he was rotc problem at the university of virginia i went to the university of maryland in college park and my perspective was conscientious objection to war nonviolence. uh my role models were totally different than his and he thought military might was the best way and the only realistic way to solve problems and he went to Vietnam on a destroyer, and we'd exchanged beautiful letters. Uh, but, you know, the thing that we had that's missing in America today on a large scale is the respect for one another and our differences. Uh, we never let those differences stand in the way. It was always a spirit of reconciliation, like we viewed each other as misguided, certainly, but, uh, you know, we accepted each other. It was like the loyal opposition. So we exchanged moving letters, and I remember Jerry would write, uh, from Vietnam, these letters, and he said, um, you know, I was uh, on deck, and I was in charge of the guns, and I saw one of my gunners being dragged off, and he was shouting, I won't kill anymore, and he was taking the, uh, for him, the commandment was, I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious, but for him, it was uh, Christian, and he said, I won't kill anymore, thou shalt not kill, and Jerry said it was just amazing how fast he was replaced, Francesco, guns. I hate yeah. to, I hate to interrupt, but I have to go to break here. Um, okay, can, sure. can we put a comma and you stick around for a few minutes, and we'll talk some more. Thank you. 
All right. Sure. My guest is Francesco da Vinci, author of I Refuse to Kill, My Path to Nonviolent Action in the 1960s. We'll let our broadcast partner squeeze in, and we'll be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My Robocall Crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. 
But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue my conversation with uh, the author of a memoir and uh, really kind of a, 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 a better look back at the 60s uh, called I Refuse to Kill My Path to Nonviolent Action in the 1960s by my guest Francesco Da Vinci, who joins me by phone. Francesco, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. No, no, no. It's all good. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity here. I, I feel like I have a powerful message uh, about nonviolence and reconciliation to get out there. Well, and let's let's talk about that a little more. Um, there was an image I got when you were talking about having been raised in privilege, and I just I just had this picture of being chauffeur-driven to demonstrations. <laughs> uh, no, actually, uh, by the time I reached college age, my parents had lost their fortune. Uh, so it wasn't, you know, Robert Kennedy once said, uh, who I worked for when he ran for president, uh, he once said that uh, he delivered papers by limousine, you know, tossing them out. But it was not It was not that image, no. Um. But as as you really kind of college was a way of breaking out of that bubble for you, wasn't it? It certainly was. It was like a, a freedom and um, and a wake up call at the same time because I was bearing you know who I was inside, and I I kept putting it off what I knew I should be doing, and then after a while you feel you're in silent complicity if you don't speak out because. As you remember, you know, daily there were the body counts on the war. And, uh, you know, we lost 58,000 Americans to this uh, mad uh, intervention. And uh, consider the Asians lost uh, a couple of million. Uh, and what did it, you know, what was the purpose of all of it? This is why I want to speak to we go to war way too easily. And that's the message I have for uh, us for in the present day. Well, there's I, there's a little comedy piece that I play once in a while with um, Bill Dana, the actor uh, portraying Jose Jimenez, and and he's uh, he's being interviewed as the director of the CIA, okay. and and one of the questions that he gets asked is, uh, what was the biggest secret in World War Two? And his off-the-cuff answer was that it's still going on. Ah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's so relevant, because uh, in a sense, every war is different, and yet every war is the same. Uh, I, I've never forgot uh, one day uh, I read that a quote by President Johnson, you know, who was Johnson and Nixon were pursuing Vietnam, mainly, I think most people would agree, out of pride, you know, and at what cost and for what? So uh, can I read a short quote from yeah. President Johnson? Uh, 
Yeah. I, I think this speaks to the madness of war. The war in Vietnam is not like these other wars. Yet, finally, war is always the same. It's young men dying in the fullness of their promise. So, you know, he recognized the madness of it all. And then he says, therefore, to know war is to know that there is still madness in the world. So yet he understood this, and yet he continued pushing it as Nixon did. So it's time, you know, that people, like, uh, are less tolerant, you know, of war. We, we become desensitized to violence uh, in, in all levels, you know. So, and that's one of the things that Joan Baez would always speak to. Um, we're getting shock-resistant to the violence. So I think we need to show that there are alternatives, and everybody can do something in their own microcosm uh, to show the kindness and to create nonviolent alternatives. And there was this sense, and when you talk about Johnson and Nixon, of course, in, and it was in all their rhetoric, they were looking for a win. Yes. And I'm not sure either one of them knew what a win would look like. I'm not sure we ever know what a win looks like, but war's ending. Well, both people lose in war, and both people win when they're settled with diplomacy or nonviolence. You know, they, the, uh, again, it's uh, one of my suggestions. It's an old idea, Tom, but, you know, there's been, this has been kicked around for a long time. Have a Department of Peace. You know, our Department of Defense used to be called the Department of War. Uh, so, you know, we go to war, like I said, too easily. Why not have somebody in the president's cabinet that their full-time job is nonviolent alternatives to war? I think it's way overdue, and maybe have a Department of Peace and give them some real power. You know, with all of the speaking that uh, John Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy and, and uh, even Jacqueline, then mm -hmm. Kennedy, did around the world promoting democracy they were also really advocating peace, and I don't think anybody is doing that now. Well, it's few and far between. It's not enough. But, you know, uh, there's a certain extent, you know, the news is so negative. We get programmed, and if you look at the extreme of that, you all you have to do is look at uh, the Orwellian situation in Russia, where they're brainwashed by one major station, and you cannot even describe, they even monitor the language so heavily that you can't call the invasion an invasion or the war a war and without risking 15 years in prison. So, you know, we've got to consider the context, too, of what we hear every day. When I, when I, can I, I don't want to go on too long, but can I mention an example of how I change with the perspective that way? Of course. All right. Uh, well, when during Vietnam, one of the big awakenings for me is I, because my family had wealth, I was able to go to Europe and travel. And everywhere I went in Europe, I was just amazed at how different the news was from what I was getting in America and how outraged they were by, you know, calling uh, our, you know, fight for uh, Vietnam. They said it was an invasion. You know, I never looked at it that way at all. And so it was a total different perspective. Well, uh, so just th that's one thing we should be aware of. The 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 two um, recent wars at that time, the the one yes. going on Vietnam and the previous war slash 
police action were both promoted in the media in America as fighting communism and pushing invaders back from south to north. In in both of those cases, and there was still a lot of um, anti-communist sentiment left over from uh, (laughs) the days of of, uh, Joseph McCarthy. Yes, that's right. And it hadn't been that long. And and so here was this opportunity to fight communism in, in what seemed like a very American way. Yeah, well, you know, you speak truth to power is, I feel, the best way, uh, because we've been invading countries, um, and that military solutions uh, create enormous backlash and you know what uh, Jeanette Rankin was one of those brave individuals outspoken who would uh, make us aware that every time uh, there's a cost uh, when we do these things uh, for backlash and so you know she would say that you know look today's uh, enemy is tomorrow's friend and look how many of our allies were once uh, opposite and you know flip-flop both ways uh, not to mention the problem of uh, arms trade everywhere, and then the arms are being used against uh, the country that gave them the arms. So uh, I, I just the, the perspective of the book uh, is violence is not the way to solve problems. It should be a last resort, a very very last resort, and yet it's we go to war way too easy. Still, it's you know it's it's easy. To, I don't want to say easy, but it seems significantly more possible to adopt a, a peaceful approach as an individual. But good point. When you're representing a you know a large body of people who have a lot of different opinions and violence erupts, how do you? How do you skirt that? How do you put the toothpaste back in the tube? Yeah, well, Yutant of the United Nations said a brilliant thing, and he said the first casualty in war is communication. And, you know, there's right there, you know, all our, you know, we've got to talk to each other. And that speaks not only in terms of war, but in terms of the spirit of the country. Look how divided we were in the 60s, and we're still just as divided at least today. So communication is very essential for diplomacy. Um, and it's uh, even on an individual in our relationships with each other, uh, not just uh, with other countries, but here at home and talking to each other. Look how divided we are. So you know, communication is the start. It's interesting. I, I have conversations with people every day um, or every week uh, at least about this division, the political division that exists in the U.S., the right versus the left. And right. It, it, it seems stuck. It seems almost uh, unfixable. But how would you compare the division we have now with the division we had in the 60s? I would say it was stronger in the 60s, uh, and one of the reasons is but was the it, lines were... Pr- was, it right, was it right-left, or 
Was it young, old? Was it? I, I was just going to get to that, and I was going to say that, you know, it was an unusual situation in the 60s in the sense that my generation, your generation, we were united in spirit in a general way. Of course not. There were also, uh, you know, d- d- splits in that, but they were relatively minor if you look at it compared to today, how split today's generation is. And one of the reasons for that was we had the advantage of economic prosperity and we were free to pursue our ideals. And, and uh, however, uh, that said, um, there was this myth that it was, uh, it was so united that there was this myth that it was a communist conspiracy. You know, and if you remember the trial of the Chicago Nine, I remember yeah. Abby Hoffman was asked in a humorous way, you know, they said, uh, is this really a communist conspiracy? Are you guys plotting to overthrow? And he said, oh, my God, you've got to be kidding me. He said, uh, we're, we're so divided uh, among ourselves that we can't even agree where to have lunch. <laughs> so, didn't didn't know, didn't he end up on Wall Street? Gee, I don't know. I really don't know. I think one of them. I, I and I think it was Abby Hoffman, but it it might have been another of the uh, but big names from I, from that time. But I think it was more divided. And also, you know, look at the times that the the. Uh, the troops would fire into a crowd of nonviolent protesters, whether it was Kent State or Jackson State or People's Park. You know, this is incredible. I mean, that's how the how polarized things were. Uh, you know, the young people being shot for nonviolent protest. What after? What you went through in the 60s and watching all of these things over the years, what was your reaction, Francesco, to, um, to the storming of the Capitol on January 6th? Well, I'm appalled. And like I said to my Virginia draft board when they interviewed me, whether uh, the violence and, um, comes from the left or the right, I'm against it. You know, because they would ask uh, about the violent students. And I'd say, well, you know, the violence is broader. Uh, there are violent students, but uh, like you said, the storming of the Capitol, it's not the way. And, of course, whatever your cause is, it's almost inevitable with a huge backlash. I've never been against, uh, you know, I, I'm not in favor of, like, property destruction or violence to individuals. Or, you know, there were bombings that happened in the 60s, too. Uh, then people will justify it and say, oh, well, we do it in the middle of the night when no one's there. Well, one time, as you may know, that uh, a researcher went into his lab at 3 in the morning, and uh, he died. He was a family person with uh, children, and uh, that was because they made the wrong assumption that uh, no one would be there. So I think the the destruction, uh, whether it's uh, property or individuals, is not the way to go. The nonviolent marches... That was one of the beautiful things that was powerful that made those grow. The big march that started everything was, uh, for me, was the march on the Pentagon in 1967, October, from the Lincoln Memorial to the Pentagon that Armin, uh, that you know Norman Mailer wrote about and won a Pulitzer for Armies of the Night. And that was, finally, the presidents could no longer say, you know, it's just a small, tiny minority that are against this war. There were 100,000 people on the street for the first time. 
There was a, a real interesting moment. I think you would have um, really enjoyed Francesco um, during the a Black Lives Matter march um, and okay. demonstration here in the Flint, Michigan area. Um, and this was in the wake of the George Floyd killing. Right. And there had been some violence in some cities where demonstrations had occurred. And so local law enforcement was really concerned and were really keeping a very close eye, almost a perimeter around the marchers. And at one point, our sheriff, um, fairly young sheriff, he, he's, I think, just served one term so far because it's an elected position, but um, he approached one of the leaders of the group and said, and it was all caught on camera and it made national news, he said, what do you want me to do? And somebody in the group very judiciously said, walk with us. Wow. That's powerful. It was powerful. And to his credit, our sheriff, Chris Swanson, I'll go ahead and give him give his name, um, turned to, to all of the, the law enforcement from the various communities that had assembled and had them take off all their riot gear, and they just turned and marched with the people. And it was wow. an amazing moment. I'm getting chills just listening. Well, that's why I wanted to share it with you. I mean, it's it's a little off our it's it's not off topic, but it's certainly pretty. No, it's right on the conversation. Topic. But I just thought that was a, a a brilliant example of how power can behave. Yeah, sometimes the flower is more uh, powerful than the gun. No. Oh, it was uh, it was an amazing an amazing yeah. moment. Well, I, it reminds me of when you know, remember those nonviolent protesters that would be handing flowers uh, to policemen during the marches, uh, and sometimes it would be a similar reaction, uh, and uh, that was again, it all speaks to we're related, we're one basic family, and you know, at heart. You know, my, my dad was a psychiatrist, and he never believed that people were innately violent. We have to be trained to do that. And I was raised to believe that, uh, you know, we're born to be love and be loved. And, um, you know, we have this commonality, and that's what we've got to assert more today. And your example is a perfect, uh, you know, illustration of that. Yeah, it, it was, um, I don't know, it, <laughs> it was... Flint, the Flint area has had some really bad news oh, yeah. in the media. I know, and and so it was so nice. I'm a journalist. That, yeah. It was so nice to see this, you know, this this really powerfully peaceful moment unfold. And see, that's what should be on the news. That's what we need more of on the news. Oh yeah, it was it was great to see it on the news, but but like you say, we need more of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, when I uh, always had the approach, by the way, in that march on the Pentagon, I was in the third row near the front behind uh, Norman Mailer and Dr. Spock. So, you know, I saw all these things firsthand. And, and when I formed a peace group in San Diego called Nonviolent Action, um, we would leaflet at the draft board and every single induction call in San Diego for one year 
and we never, um, you know, went at the, the uh, draft board clerks or the soldiers or whoever it was that we were dealing with. Uh, was always with the spirit of, you know, you are me and I am you. And uh, we strove for reconciliation. So that, and, you know, if you listen enough, like you do on your show, you know, that's that's uh, the art of bringing us back together again. Well, I hope so. I, I really make a point to avoid the the rant radio that so many people hear and spend time with people who have things to say and, and give them an opportunity to say it. And they're not always people who agree with each other. Sure. But, but the idea is to have civilized conversation because if you don't look at the other side if you don't consider it how do you ever learn anything true anyway francesco enough uh, enough about that we're almost out of time and and i'm having such a great time talking with you we could go on for hours but um i want to thank you for spending uh, this time with me and the listeners this morning but i always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work past present, right. and future do you have a website i do thank you very much it's called it's simple i refuse to kill.com that's the main thing for the book and my story and i wanted to mention that uh, all the photographs that I took from 1960 to 1971 are in the book, the photos that I took. So if you're, folks, if you're ready for some time travel, uh, the pictures are there to take you through it. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I'll have to do that. Um, and w- one quick compliment to you, uh, Tom. Uh, I've done quite a few radio interviews. This is definitely one of the best by far. And I would say if more people in government listened the way you listen, we'd have less war. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I, may, maybe they're listening now, hopefully. Okay. Um, but, uh, Francesco, what a delight. Francesco da Vinci is the author of uh, the uh, book, I Refuse to Kill, My Path to Nonviolent Action in the 1960s. And, again, Francesco, thank you so much. It's been an honor and a privilege, and keep up the good work. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. And once again, Francesco da Vinci, author of I Refused Kill, My Path to Nonviolent Action in the 1960s. And we're going to take a short break, uh, let our uh, broadcast partners squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOVLP, Our Voices Radio, 92.1 FM Flint a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions, and my good friend Paul Herring. And uh, as I said, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And uh, also, I would uh, remind you that you can go to the website, TomSumnerProgram.com, anytime and listen to the show because um, each day I produce a show from 9 a.m. to noon and then it repeats um, until the next new show is done. So uh, you can listen anytime and if there's a particular interview you're interested in, you can go back through the, uh, through the archives hour by hour and uh, stream those, uh, those interviews. So 
Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's one more final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner program yet to go. And I hope you will uh, stay with me till the bitter end. Hey, (laughs) this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. It'd be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Our next guest is the President of the United States. Mr. President, we are honored for this opportunity to visit with you in the midst of your normally busy day in the White House. I am hopeful that the visit will be uh, helpful. First, may we extend our congratulations, although it was months ago, on your thundering election victory to the presidency. This will be for a new seven-year term. (laughs) Uh, We'll go right on with the questioning now to Mr. Swayze. Uh, Mr. President, as a continuing example of your policies, who in the years to come will be guarding our eastern coast against Russian submarines? Thirty-five Cuban fishermen. that you are contemplating some changes in the income tax law for next year. That's what we propose to do. And if your changes go through, sir, how much of our net salary will we be able to keep? One-tenth of one percent. <laughs> and where will we be mailing our income tax checks? The President of the White House. <laughs> Mr. St. Badger. Sir, vice presidents are becoming more and more important. And I think they should. <laughs> Would you say that Hubert Humphrey has been a good vice president? Yes, today was quite encouraging. Uh, sir, your, your middle name is known the world over. Could you tell us what Mr. Humphrey's middle name is? Prudence. Election campaigns are costly. Has the Democratic Party allocated any funds for the next election? Forty billion dollars. Uh-huh. And how much of that will be for your re-election as president? Forty-two million dollars. And how much for Mr. Humphrey? One million six hundred thousand. And how much to re-elect Bobby Kennedy? Thirty-eight dollars. <laughs> According to Newsweek, an internal problem of considerable magnitude is the mounting divorce rate. What is the government's policy toward the alarming increase in Mexican divorces? We congratulate the winners. (laughs) We send warm regards to the losers. Sir, uh, uh, being the president, your health is of major interest to everybody. 
As an example, when you had a simple head cold and were confined in the hospital for a few days, it made headlines around the world. Uh, that's what uh, normally happens when situations like that develop. Just as a point of curiosity, sir, who treated your head cold while you were in the hospital? Dr. Howard Rush, Dr. Paul Sanger, Dr. Edward Dempsey, Dr. Hugh Hussey, Dr. Irvin Wright, Dr. Julius Hurst, Dr. Charles Mayo, Dr. Lee Clark, Dr. Ian Pepper, Dr. Dr. Samuel Bellet. Uh, sir, I wonder if we could turn for just a minute to your War on Poverty program, which we would Dr. Like John Myers, Dr. Morgan Fay, Dr. Helen Tossett, Dr. Jane Wright. Well, many thanks for being with us tonight, sir. Dr. Frank Horsfall, Dr. Joe Willis Horst, Dr. Marion Faye, Dr. Edward Dempsey, Dr. Sidney Farmer. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
That's a fact. it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I just, I never get tired of talking to interesting people like my guest this last hour, Francesco da Vinci, author of I Refuse to Kill, My Path to Nonviolent Action in the 1960s. Before that, we talked with renowned uh, photographer Santino Zaffirana, who um, has written a book. Uh, It's part coffee table, part instruction, but uh, called Think Before You Shoot. And we started out talking about plastic surgery with uh, one of the top uh, plastic surgeons in New York City, um, Dr. Richard West. Let's see if, if, I, if I get this right. Westreich. Yeah, Dr. Richard Rest, Westreich. Boy, that's not easy to say. Anyway, uh, there's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, letting you know it's, uh, well, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. No, I won't. This is the weekend. Um, I'll be back Monday with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and I hope you will be too. Uh, In the meantime, have a great weekend, and good night, everybody. show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.